0: Exodus 12, 1-30. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb... Then he and his nearest neighbour shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood... And put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened, from the first day until the seventh day, That person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you, and you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt." Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For those seven seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land." You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning. it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead.
1: Uh, Well, you'll need your Bible open to the passage that was read and a little bit around it. Uh, I was thinking, what what can I do when when I come to speak? And, you know, it's not actually that long till Easter. So Passover in the Old Testament is the background to Easter, so there's there's the link. Um, So let's pray as we come to consider uh, this idea. Uh, Heavenly Father, help us now as we approach your word. Cause us to trust your saving promises in Christ and help me to speak clearly and faithfully. Amen. Well, I don't even know now what I was doing at the time. A couple of months into last year, I was at college. I I will have been doing something, uh, maybe something even important that couldn't wait. And then the phone call came. My wife, Megan, speaking fast and urgently. I'm out at the shops, you need to call the kids immediately, the kitchen is flooding. Suddenly any plans or thoughts or work or other needs I had vanished and only one thing was clear, doing whatever I needed to do to get the water stopped and the water mopped up as quickly as possible. Nothing else really mattered. Now, thankfully, we were able to fix the problem, replace the fitting that had burst, and so life returned pretty much to normal the next day. But my point is that sometimes something can come in that makes you act or see something differently or makes you change course. A bushfire alert can do that. Or, you know, two red lines on a rat test. Sometimes whatever else we had in mind, now we need to act. Israelites back in ancient Egypt would have had some pretty pressing needs. After all, they were slaves. The Pharaoh worked them ruthlessly and they cried out to God for rescue. That was their greatest need, you could say. The urgent thing, the most important thing. To be rescued from Pharaoh and Egypt. To be set free from slavery. To be their own people. But the Passover event of the book of Exodus won't let us say that. Because Moses doesn't come to the people and say, uh, you, you guys, wait in your houses while God comes along and saves you from you know, your political problem, Pharaoh and Egypt. No, he, he comes to them with instructions about selecting a lamb, killing it, and painting its blood over, over the door. Something else is going on. Something actually more urgent now. Even in Spielberg's Prince of Egypt there was a recognition of this. I, I came across this in a book, I confess I haven't after all these years I haven't seen the movie. Uh, but originally there was just going to be a mark over the door. A mark over the door. But but just any mark won't do. Spielberg's theological advisors said there had to be blood, and they were right. Only the blood of the lamb would save. Not some random mark. Or even red paint, which kind of looks like blood, would do. Only one thing exactly only blood. The Israelites' greatest need on Passover night was to shelter under the lamb's blood. And so what's going on here, I think, is is, is that in this stark way the Passover is teaching that there's something more serious than slavery in Egypt, however big a problem that is, and that's slavery to sin. And on the flip side, it's teaching that there's something more wonderful, something even more liberating than rescue from Egypt, or even Russia for that matter, and that's rescue from sin. This passage is both serious and wonderful at the same time. We have a desperately serious need, but God has a wonderful solution. That's where we're heading. So I want to look at four aspects of the Passover. Four aspects of the Passover. Judgment, salvation, remembrance, fulfillment. Judgment, salvation, remembrance and fulfillment. Firstly, judgment. It should be pretty obvious that God has been bringing judgment against the Egyptians. So far in Exodus, the Israelites, God's people, they've been persecuted and enslaved. And God had heard their cries to him and raised up Moses as their leader. And he'd gone to Pharaoh and demanded their release. But Pharaoh had laughed and he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? And he worked them even more harshly. And so you remember that in response, God sent plague after plague to strike Pharaoh and the Egyptians so that his people could be free. These plagues we could call creational plagues Elements from creation being utilised by the creator God to fight for his people and bring judgement against Egypt. Now, of course, God, God could have used some other, other way. He could have even used a means that included the Israelites themselves, you know, Israelite freedom fighters or something. But he doesn't do that. He, he uses creation, boils and hail and locusts Things like that. Creational plagues. God was showing that salvation must come by his power and grace alone. But the plagues reach a tipping point. Though judgment has been terrible through nine plagues so far, Pharaoh's not budging. And so God brings one climactic event to accomplish his people's release. Have a look at chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11 verse 1 God says yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt After he w- afterward he will let you go from here when he lets you go he will drive you away completely and so this climactic 10th plague is spelled out from verse 4 thus says the Lord about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who was behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that he may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel." So it initially seems that this plague will be like the other ones. The creator God, who in the beginning ordered creation by separating and dividing, and who'd separated his people up to this point from the judgment coming against the Egyptians, well, he would continue to make a distinction between them. But as the passage goes on, we quickly realize that this plague is climactic and different. So see verse 4 again. About midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. And then down in chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 12, God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn. You see, in in this plague, God is personally turning up. He's personally coming in judgment. And that changes everything for not just Egyptian, but Israelite as well. So, so what's going on? Well, obviously Israel does have a political problem. that They are slaves in Egypt and that's a very big problem. And only God can rescue them out of Egypt. But with the 10th plague, this can only happen if God personally turns up in judgment. But Then do you see what that means? If God is going to come in judgment, then now all of a sudden their problem isn't so much Pharaoh but actually God himself. If God, the judge of all people, was to suddenly appear, then then now before him there was no distinction. Everyone deserves his judgment from Pharaoh at the top, down to the lowest slave, and then every Israelite as well. It's not like the Israelites are innocent because if God comes in judgment, their firstborn sons face death as well you see god had been very clear with adam the first man in the beginning consequences of sin is death and as children of adam we repeat his failure and deserve his fate every human being on the planet hasn't lived with god as their god not like they should We might be like Pharaoh, publicly setting ourselves up against God and mocking him. Or we might be more like the Israelites, where where our rebellion against God isn't so public, seemingly small and not worthy of attention. But the Passover event shows that before God, all sin is sin. And if God were to turn up to judge, then we all deserve to die. So, see the seriousness now? Passover is teaching that there's something more serious than slavery in Egypt, however big a problem that is, and that's slavery to sin. And it's our biggest problem as well, because it means that we deserve nothing other than the judgment of God, however we might like to think about ourselves. So, we come to the second aspect of the Passover, salvation judgment is clear in this passage but so is the salvation of God's people and let's be clear it's not by God kind of making an exemption to his judgment and looking the other way but by God himself choosing to make the provision of a way of salvation and absolutely central to this is the Passover sacrifice of a lamb instead of the firstborn son so Uh, what's going on with this firstborn well back in chapter 4 Moses was told to go to Pharaoh and say this is what the Lord says Israel is my firstborn son let my son go so that he may worship me and then God said to Pharaoh because you refuse to let my son go so I will kill your firstborn son So God's judgment against Egypt and against Pharaoh would be directed against the firstborn. Not because God is cruel, but because it's appropriate and he's teaching something. We have have to see this. Uh, Who was the firstborn son? Well, uh, first son would be the one to inherit. Uh, With that then, the, the one who would continue the family. The firstborn son, you could say, is the future. With that son was the family hope. To, to kill the son is to kill the future. It's to bring judgment on the family. And so God has chosen to take the people of Israel as his firstborn from the world. That, that's where his plans for the future are focused. They're bound up with this people and the promises God has made with them. And in setting himself against the Israelites, Pharaoh is actually setting himself against God and really the future hope for the world. And in taking the firstborn from Pharaoh, God is teaching that to go against him is hopeless. You have no future. Such a way can only end in death. And so amongst God's firstborn people, the Israelites, he makes a way available so that their firstborn sons can live, so that they as a people have a future, and so that his plans for the world through them have a future. God's teaching that even though you rightly deserve it, there is a way to, a way to come through his judgment with a future. What is this way? It's a sacrifice, isn't it? Have a look at what they're to do. Chapter 12, verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3, each man is to take a lamb for the family household. If, verse 4, the household is small, they can join together with another house. Then, verse 5, the lamb or a young goat has to be without defect. You know, you can't pick a sick one you don't want. It has to be able to represent the son you love. And then verse 6, you have to take care of it for four days. So it's selected on the 10th, uh, <clears throat> take care of it until the 14th, that's four days. So it's not killed straight away. It's like it has to become part of the family. Uh, now I, I grew up on a farm and sometimes uh, there'd be a lamb we had to look after, put it in the backyard and bottle feed it give it a name and it was shocking uh, when grandad killed one one time for food that that lamb had become like one of us see that that's the kind of like the point here the lamb represents the firstborn who represents the family so verse six they have to kill this lamb roast it and eat it so in a sense they're already living by its death But they're also to take the blood, verse 7, and apply it to the door frames. And God says, verse 13, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood isn't there so that God can work out who's inside. It's it's there because he does know who's inside there, that there's a family deserving his judgment of death inside there. But the blood shows that there's already been a death, the death of a lamb. So on that night, there's a firstborn death in every house, the, the actual firstborn in the Egyptian houses, but a substitute firstborn, a lamb, in the Israelite houses. And and that's the way of salvation here. God, God doesn't relocate his people to some other area. No, actually, judgment visits every house. But those who put their trust in God's provision of the lamb would be saved. The deserving of his judgment, judgment instead would fall upon the lamb so that his firstborn people would be spared. And through this, the Israelites would be free. Have a look at chapter 12, verse 31. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and be gone. So on Passover night, the Israelites become God's free people. But the way this happened was through God coming in judgment against sinful human beings. Slavery in Egypt was a big problem, but on Passover night it wasn't the Israelites' greatest problem. Their greatest problem was that they were sinners too. And so with the provision of the of the Lamb, God is showing that the greatest liberation is being rescued from sin and the death it deserves. So more briefly we come to the third aspect of the Passover Remembrance. It, it's the unusual thing about this passage. You know, that there's the instructions on what to do on Passover night in Egypt, but kind of mixed in are instructions on how to remember the event going forward. It'd be like, uh, if this building was on fire, uh, we told everything will be okay, someone will come to the front, tell us how to exit, uh, safely. But before we leave, uh, I want to tell you how we can remember things. Uh, each year we're going to hold a little ceremony and light a, light a candle and remember how we were saved from the fire. But that, On Passover night, that's what's going on, though. Uh, there's instructions on reliving and remembering the Passover. And then also, in addition, the Festival of Unleavened Bread runs for another seven days, which relives and remembers the experience of leaving Egypt quickly, not having time for bread to rise. And so significant is this rescue from Egypt that their calendar even totally changes. So chapter 12, verse 2. Chapter 12, verse 2. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you from now on. It wasn't before. But from this point on, the Israelite year begins with them remembering their salvation. So it might initially seem out of place to give future instructions on passover night it actually also makes a lot of sense see because this is who they are now they're god's saved people and they don't move on from their rescue they need to be reminded again and again of what god has done for them so each year now begins this way remembering and then chapter 13 Uh, Chapter 13, if you glance there, you might be able to see chapter 13 is instructions, uh, on how to set apart to God each firstborn, uh, male human and animal when they're born off into the, off into the future. The animal, it's killed, but each son is redeemed with a lamb. It's teaching the Israelites that in an ongoing way, they owe their lives, and their future to God. That's all helping them remember. But all of this raises a big question. And we come to the last aspect of the Passover fulfillment. How can the blood of a, of a lamb absorb God's judgment? How can it? Sure, it can represent an Israelite in some sense. You know, it has to be without defect from their own flock, has to kind of live in their house for a little bit. So they can identify even more closely with it. But, but really, how can the blood of a lamb truly represent human blood? As the author to the Book of Hebrews says, it it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And now I I think we actually even get a hint of this in the passage. Uh, have a look down at chapter twelve, verse twenty three. Chapter 12, verse 23, it says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door, and he will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. See those words? The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter. We could just think Passover means skip over. And that is what happens. Judgment skips over each house that has blood. But in this verse, it seems that the passing over prevents the destroyer entering the house. What's going on? Well, the word Passover has a literal meaning of hovering over. It's what a bird does. It it hovers over its nest, either nurturing or protecting. Here, Moses is saying that, that God will hover over the doorway. And he will not allow the destroyer to enter. That is, he won't allow his own judgment to enter. He's protecting each house that has blood. It's kind of like the blood isn't enough somehow. It's like he has to be there personally to absorb his own judgment. And so when we track forward in time to the New Testament, Passover Jesus eats on the night before his death is revolutionary. Just like the first Passover reset the Israelite calendar what we could call the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper changes everything. But for more than a thousand years remembering the Passover followed the instructions set down the ones in Exodus 12. No one had the authority to change them. But in the Passover Jesus celebrates with his disciples actually there's there's no lamb even mentioned. Instead He breaks the bread and gives it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. And about a cup of wine, he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. No one else ever said such things at Passover. Jesus is saying the Passover is now fulfilled. It was pointing to him, his body and blood, He's saying, he is the lamb whose blood must be given so that people can have a future with God. On Passover night, God's judgment came and he called the Egyptians to account. But the Bible says God's judgment is coming not just against ancient Egypt, but against the whole world. In this sense, every human being is is an Egyptian firstborn son deserving death. No one will be spared, because before God, we're we're all guilty of so many things. This is our greatest problem and need, far more urgent than a burst pipe in the kitchen, than anything really. But God has a wonderful solution, not not to minimise his justice, but, but to satisfy his justice, to have his justice and mercy meet together, like at the Passover. So that people could be preserved and saved through judgment, even as it occurs. And so on the cross of Jesus, God's justice and mercy perfectly meet. The reason why God hovered at the Passover was because ultimately he must pay the price and protect his people from the judgment they deserve. See, only the true lamb of God can take away sin, And so that's why on the cross, you know, no one hovers over Jesus, no one protects Jesus because he is the lamb of God dying for the sins of the world. And it's real human blood, his blood, that stains the cross. In Jesus, God is taking the punishment into himself, rescuing us from what our sins deserve and setting us free. What an amazing God! our need is great, but god 's rescue is so much greater. I want to finish with three implications, three implications number one: center on Jesus. Center yourself on jesus without the death of jesus we 're ruined on the night of Passover. salvation was found was found, but in only one place each blood-marked house. And today, salvation is found in no one else than Jesus if we trust him. His blood covers us. Our judgment has now taken place in him. Nothing else makes us right with God. We must not move on from him. His death is central. And so if your life isn't already sheltering under Jesus, then you need to come to him urgently, just like the people on passover night please center yourself and your life on jesus number two remember jesus remember jesus because he's the center do whatever you can to remember jesus and what he's done for you read his word pray to him keep meeting together with his people to hear his word taught and to celebrate the lord's supper remembering his death We don't move on from Jesus, so we need to remember him. And number three, marvel at Jesus. Just marvel at Jesus. We're going to be doing it for all eternity. How good and kind he is in so many ways, but specifically in his death, in the shedding of his blood, taking our place and securing our future. Marvel at him going to express these three things together now in song, remembering and marvelling, as we sing about the core of our faith, nothing but the blood of Jesus.